scripture reading this morning will be from Matthew chapter 11. As you turn there, you can stand, and I will read. Matthew 11, beginning in verse 1. Now it came about that when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John in prison heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the coming one, or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John the things which you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk, the lepers <coughs> are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. I'll pray. Lord Jesus, we again, as has already been expressed, we thank you for all that you have accomplished for us. Thank you that that work is finished and that we can rest, God, in that completed work. Thank you, God, that you um, want us and that you love us and that your heart for us will always be greater than ours for yours and that you genuinely long, God, for us to walk with you in the light that we might know you and worship you in spirit and in truth. And I pray that as we look at your word together that our hearts would be yours and that you would speak to us, God, work in us of your good pleasure. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, this is a Sunday for announcements, so I have a few others to make. Um, <clears throat> first of all, thank you for, to John for standing in for me <clears throat> last week, again on very short notice. I tend, it seems like I'm getting sick on Saturdays and I call John up or text him, I don't even call, and say, I'm dying. Um, and so John um, has been very gracious to stand in on very short notice for me. I appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and it is um, our tradition here at His Hill, for, um, here at His Hill, at Bernie Bible Church for a number of years now. Um, to use that Sunday to ask different individuals to share their testimonies. I wish we could have 10, 20 people to share, but we don't have time, and so we've been asking three people to share. And we um, really, it's, there's no, no agenda or anything, and there, there's no secret list that we're looking at and checking off of who shares their testimony. It's just people that are part of this fellowship, not necessarily church members, um, and uh, we pray, we talk about it as elders, who we should ask, and so we ask folks. And it's been a wonderful time, because the, really the, the whole purpose is that we spend all Sunday, all, all year long, I'm sorry, preaching about Christ as Savior and Redeemer, and it is good once in a while to just hear from folks of how He has saved and redeemed. And so it's very, very encouraging um, to have that, and so next Sunday there'll be three from our fellowship that'll be sharing. Um, um, the following Sunday, following Palm Sunday, always follows Easter Sunday. Uh, amazing how that works. And um, there will be a, a sunrise service at His Hill. It's never quite at sunrise, usually a little bit later. Um, we'll announce the times of that, um, and I'm also announcing to our second-year students who maybe don't know this, they will be leading that, second, that sunrise service um, at His Hill um, um, two Sundays from now. And then we'll have our, our church service here following that. 
And if you're wondering about the flowers up front, uh, we don't normally have these stands of flowers, but this is um, to commemorate <coughs> the passing of, of John Newman. Uh, we had his memorial service yesterday, just a wonderful time of, of remembering a good man, a man who walked with the Lord, loved the Lord, and um, served him well. And it was just a joyful time to be together with Anne and her children um, to remember John. And then one other announcement. Um, these obviously are not in the order of priority or importance, but we will not have a potluck um, this month because it falls on Easter, and so we just won't have one this month, and then next month we'll get back to having um, our potlucks. End of announcements. Chapter 11 of John here. Um, I'd like to um, really tackle the whole chapter this morning because I believe it stands together as a unit. Um, just to put it in, in perspective and context of what's been going on here, the opposition against Jesus is ramping up. In chapter 12, the next chapter coming, it reaches its crescendo. And that's really a watershed point in the book in chapter 12. And so we're, we're rapidly moving up to that. In chapter 9 was the first time that the people just came out and said, <coughs> not the people per se, but the leaders of Israel, that Jesus cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. In chapter 10, in response to Jesus um, saying, um, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest, chapter 10, he talks about what it's going to look like when we get sent out. And that includes persecution. Not only persecution from the world and from government, <coughs> but also families will be torn apart because of the witness of Jesus Christ. So it's a very costly thing. Not everybody is going to respond to those laborers when they get sent out into the harvest. There will be people who openly persecute us, and there will be family members who can't stand the ground we walk on. And it'll be a very difficult time. And so that brought, brings us to chapter 11. And in the beginning of the chapter here, John is in prison. And that's a bit of a puzzle, why he is still in prison. He hasn't done anything wrong. We know that he publicly condemned Herod um, because of his adulterous relationship with his brother's wife. And that got him in trouble. So he's arrested, and we know that later he will be executed um, <coughs> and will not be released from prison. If John was really held in high regard by the Pharisees, by the religious leaders, you think they would have been putting some pressure on Herod to let John out of prison. But there's not a word of anybody coming to his defense. His disciples certainly were there with him. Um, but the religious leaders um, are only too glad to see John in prison and would probably hope that he would be executed. And so the only one who could come to his defense is the one that he announced as being Messiah. And so he sends word. Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Or should we wait for someone else? So it's, it's, um, there's different ways to take what John's doing. Um, one way is that John is not doubtful, um, but he's prodding Jesus a little bit, kind of just sticking it to him a little bit and saying, come on, I know who you are. That's not in question here, but why am I in jail? And you came here to set the prisoner free. That's one of the things that is quoted in Isaiah 
And it's interesting when Jesus gives these various quotes here from Isaiah, go and report to John the things that you see and hear, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers cleanse, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. These verses all virtually come out of Isaiah. The same passages that also say, and the prisoner will be set free. But Jesus omits that part when he says, go and tell John the things that you're seeing. So it would have been a not so subtle indication to John, don't expect to be let out of prison. So this was troublesome, but it doesn't necessarily mean that John was um, waffling in his faith. Because when Jesus responds after the disciples of John have left with, with the message that Jesus gave, Jesus says in verse 7, as they were going away, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did, you, <coughs> excuse me, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. So he's saying John is not a reed shaken in the wind. So you look, there's that way of looking at it that John is not wavering, but he is wondering, when's he get out of prison? When's Jesus going to take on his messianic role and fulfill everything that the prophets have said? That could be the right way to take it. I'm not so sure. Most, most commentators um, would say that he is wavering and, and that we would get that <coughs> because the last thing that Jesus... <coughs> excuse me, so sorry. But as Jesus continues here and talks about John, he's, he'll, he will say um, um, in verse 6, Blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. And that was a direct um, remark to John. And so it would appear from that, that that John is perhaps beginning to stumble, at least in his understanding of what the Messiah is supposed to do. I don't think for a minute that, G, that John is, um, is stumbling over who Jesus is, but rather what he's supposed to do. And can we expect him to get rid of the Romans and <coughs> to throw off all oppression and to let these innocent prisoners, which he was one, um, be released from prison. And so it's not happening, and so Jesus is now responding to that. Um, really amazing thing that Jesus says here about John, continuing these remarks, verse 9, but why, what did you go out? Why did you go out to see? Look at this. Yeah, my pick. Wow, thanks so much, Jeff. <laughs> Only you get to guess what's in the... <laughs> Students have been telling me to drink tequila with lemonade or something. No, tequila with honey. <laughs> so this one, looks, this one looks a little like that, but no, it's not. Water. Thank you, Jeff. Okay. So what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, that would be everybody, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That is an amazing statement. Of all the people who have ever been born, John the Baptist is the greatest. I don't think John knew that. It would have been nice maybe if Jesus had told John that, <laughs> but he doesn't. He tells the disciples, he tells these crowds, not even the disciples of John, which 
Um, those of you who have been complimented behind your back and you wonder why the complimenter has never told you to your face, get over it. Uh, <laughs> it happened to John. He was being complimented behind his back and the complimenter never apparently told him to his face. We all experience this. And so, but the truth is that the who John is is highly, highly significant. And it would have been lost on virtually everyone. Even those who acknowledged that he was a prophet would not have said he's the greatest prophet, the greatest man who ever lived. How true that is of us as well. We don't fully understand our greatness, the significance of a person who is alive in Christ, just how significant that is. Spring is a wonderful time of year, and one of the things that happens in spring is baseball. I heard a guy one time at my alma mater say, spring is that time of year when the guys begin to think about what the girls have been thinking about all year long. Uh, well, it's also the time of baseball. And, um, and I like baseball, and it's great to see my grandkids playing baseball, and especially the t-ballers, because they, they are dressed like baseball players. They are baseball players, but you look at that field and wonder, what are they doing? Because they, they are not playing baseball. They're chasing butterflies. They're looking at ants, picking their noses, having a general good time. They don't know why everybody's yelling, run, 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 or get the ball, get the ball. And so you, you would look at those kids and go, they're baseball players, but they don't know they're baseball players. So much of the time, it's like that for us as Christians. We're Christians, but we don't begin to understand just how highly significant that is and what our identity truly is. What made John the greatest man that ever lived? Well, it's important to understand that question because then Jesus is going to say that the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Well, that would be every person who has ever trusted in Christ for their salvation. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are those people who will populate the kingdom of heaven. I'm not going to go into this morning, debate the whole thing of has the kingdom come or not. That's not the point here. The point is those who have placed their faith in Christ are citizens of his kingdom. At this point, our citizenship is in heaven. So we, you and I, would be greater than the greatest man who has ever lived. So what made John so great? That would help me to understand what makes us so great. Of all the people who had ever lived up till John, John was the one who gave the clearest witness concerning Jesus Christ. He was the one who got to say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He got to point to him and say, This is him. Nobody else got to do that. All the other prophets were, were giving kind of um, clues and, and you know, different prophecies, yes, and they were from God, but none of them got to be the one who introduced Jesus to the world. That is what made him so great, was the clarity of the testimony that he was able to give concerning Jesus. 
So how does that relate to the least in the kingdom of heaven being greater than John? I believe that it's because the witness of Jesus Christ, the one witness who is a greater witness of Jesus than John the Baptist, is the Holy Spirit. He lives to bear witness of Jesus. And when a person places his faith in Christ for eternal life, salvation and to receive eternal life, that person receives the greatest witness that has ever been, the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, stay here in Jerusalem, and when the Holy Spirit comes, you shall become my witnesses. It didn't say that you will start being witnesses, you'll start giving witness. He says you will become something you weren't before. And it's because of the presence, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So if the witness, if, if being the, giving the clearest witness that man has ever given concerning Jesus is what makes him the greatest man that ever lived, and if the greatest witness in the universe is the Holy Spirit, and he lives within the most common, unknown, anonymous Christian there is, then that common, unknown, anonymous Christian is greater than John the Baptist because the great witness lives within him. And he himself is a witness of Jesus Christ. So the amazing thing here, and we talk about this all the time one way or another, but I know it just truly takes God to get this across into our hearts, is that our lives, as Paul said, are living letters of Christ and his redemptive work. Ian Thomas just loved to say, and he written so many things about this, his last book, Indwelling Life of Christ, is probably the simplest and the clearest, and he says that we have been made in the image of God. Our cre God's creative purpose and design is that when a person looks at a human being, they see God. So that if a Martian or some other person from other's planet, if he were to come to this planet, he ought to be able to step out of his spacecraft and look at a human being and say, now I know what God is like. Because we have been made in the image of God. We are the living, visible representations of God. That is our creation design. But it's not going to be fulfilled until 